Hello, and welcome to Warhammer 40K's Grim History from the Beyond. I'm Zekthar. And I'm Yuxin. We are the chroniclers of all that was, and all that will be in the 41st millennium. We've seen the rise and fall of many empires, and this week we'll be looking into the newest empire in the Milky Way system, the Tau. That's right, Zekthar, the space commies. Although fairly new, they are fairly advanced in technology as well as having a strange concept of working with others, as opposed to simply murdering those that don't look like them. This month, we will be discussing the unusual beginning of this race, their caste system, how they work with the rest of the races of 40k, as well as the Oldie notable characters. Indeed, brother. But before we get started, if you enjoy our boxes on the histories of the Milky Way system, feel free to subscribe, comment, follow, and like. And if you really like our stuff, please join our membership squad on our YouTube channel, Tales of Asheraka. With your support, we can continue to build and grow our boxes, as well as some cool extra stuff for you guys that join. Now, if you're listening to Spotify, don't worry. You can help as well. If you click the support podcast button on any of the descriptions on Spotify, you can donate to our success too. Well, I think that covers our intro, but tell me, Zekdar. What are we going to talk about today? <clears throat> well, today is our last day talking about the blue guys. But they blue or gray? Well, it depends on which world they're from, I guess. But So I figured we would briefly go over the five spheres of expansion. Sounds good, Zekthar. But first, we have a few questions. Sweet! The first two come from Damien Rusko. Ah. And he asked... If a human seeing a space marine means things are not going well, what does seeing a gray knight mean? <laughs> Truth be told, the answer to that is, in 99% of the cases, it's just not going yeah. well. Why? Because uh, they just would see them as space marines. Because yeah. 99% of the people don't even know what the gray knights are. True. Because us- most of them are eliminated. Uh, <laughs> true, but at the same time, anyways, if if they do happen to see a space or, or a gray knight, anyways, yes, they won't understand what it is. But it does mean that the situation is just—it means they're dead. <laughs> they're not walking away from this one. The gray knight, yes, you're screwed. <laughs> in all likelihood, yes. Unless by some miracle you happen to survive. You still won't remember it anyways, because the Grey Knights will wipe your memory and you'll just be left as this vegetable. <laughs> well, because... not necessarily a vegetable. Eh. No, because, uh, for example, all the people on Armageddon that were taken as refuges by the Space Wolves. Mm-hmm. It's not like the Space Wolves went, okay, turn all these people into vegetables. No, 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 they didn't. <laughs> they did mind wipe them. No, they didn't. <laughs> yes, they mind wiped all the of the space wolves snagged everybody out of there anyways, and then they started they started dropping them off at different planets that they were trying to save the people from getting space from getting mind wiped or exterminated. Those were the two options. No, they were trying to prevent them from being exterminated, which was what the original idea was behind it. Okay, you you can go ahead and go back and look up anyways the first battle of the Fang if you or the last battle of the Fang if you want to. I already did a vox on this, but no, but I will agree with you on this anyways. This the Grey Knights anyways they are very well known anyways for mind wiping a lot of people because they don't want people to know that they exist, right? Right. 
Right. So, I mean, even if you do happen to live through the experience, yeah, you're not going to remember who they are. <laughs> Probably in that case, it'd be like in a case where a planet was attacked, but it's like just a warp randomly opened there. Yeah. So it's not like the warp has been constantly bombarding the place. Because in that case, they'd probably go, well, this place is probably just gone. <laughs> yeah. We need to wipe everything out. It's pretty much dead. <laughs> well, yeah. So, and and by the way, Damien, he did actually send, when I said that we were going to put this on the podcast, he did send back a remark saying this was kind of a joke. We kind of understand that. <laughs> that <laughs> The person is probably toast, but go ahead and answer it if you want to. So thank you for the question. What, what was his other question, by the way, uh, Yuxin? His other question was, do regular space wolves share this, some of their pop's innate resistance to warp-based attacks? Uh, well, to the best of our knowledge, we have not found any sort of basis concerning him being resistant towards warp attacks. Uh, the only thing you've been remotely connected to that is his howl may have some sort of effect on psychic users, but yeah. even that's somewhat skeptical because then why didn't he use it against Magnus or all those <laughs> other psychers that he's had to face? Yeah, we we did actually quite a bit of research on this, just trying to find it, find anything, anyways, that said anything about this. And the closest we found actually was. Um, I can't remember who pinned it, but it was the book anyways, was the thousand suns. And I think it was the burning, burning of Prospero, Prospero right? Probably. Yeah. The burning of Prospero. Yeah. And the closest we found anyways, was um, when the wolf King ended up beating Magnus, you know, where he picks him up and <laughs> does the WWE right. move and smashes his, yeah. It smashes his back. He does howl and triumph at the blackened heavens. And after that, anyways, it begins to rain blood instead of, whatever was raining before instead of oil black <laughs> yeah downpour on prospero wept for her fallen son now the way that this described we've never we, we couldn't actually figure out if this had if this was simply anyways because of the wolf king's howl or if it was because magnus was broken and he was so in tune with prospero my Both. guess is the latter of the two yeah I, I agree with my brother on that one um it's just to me, anyways, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, anyways. Lehman Russ being a um, psychic, it it just doesn't. I mean, just especially, yeah. anyways, just like with the history of who he is. I mean, he hated psychers. <laughs> he, Not as much as Martarian, but yeah, yeah. And he hated the concept of the warp and all the stuff that was in it. So I, I just don't, I just don't see him being a psyker. Now, mind you, like I said, we did a lot of research trying to find this stuff. If you guys happen to find a place where we can actually find out anyways, you know, who actually wrote that he had this psychic howl, that seems to be the general consensus that he had the psychic howl. Although we couldn't find anything um, about it. So, But to clarify, make it like if you do find it, be it from a uh, legitimate source. Yeah, yeah. Actual Black Library book. Or yeah, by all like means, that. anyways, though, let, let us know um, in the comments. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, there's been those cases, you know, where you, you search it. things. It's like, oh, yeah, they have something. It's like, really? Where is it? You well, said, we I'm got sure, I'm sure we're not going to get the response. Well, my Uncle Steve said that he had a how and that he liked, you know, Coors. I mean, <laughs> this is 
I'm sure that we're not going to get responses like that, but if you could at least tell us anyways where you found it so we can actually, you know, get a start anyways on where we could look. That was, you know, like Yuxin was just saying anyways, something anyways that was actually pinned by a 40K person, be it a codex or like like uh, Yuxin was saying, the Black Library. Or like, for example, um, they don't have White Dwarf anymore, but they put out articles like they did for the White Dwarf. Right. It's actually well, something that's, yeah. Or, or a White Dwarf article. I mean, you can still find some of the older White Dwarf articles, too. They're still actually out and about. But, yeah. Uh, so, sorry, Damien. We couldn't actually answer your question about that. I hope we did. I mean, we just kind of said, no, he doesn't have that. <laughs> if, if, if you've got the information for us, we would love to hear it, and we'd love to get back to you on that. Uh, now, our last question comes from uh, Jason. And this has to do with the Vox I sent out anyways about the uh, Imperial cult. And he says, first, the last church is so well-written and compelling. And by the way, Yuxin, I don't know if you've read that or not, the last church. It's also on YouTube. Somebody did a whole, whole video of it anyways, and it's it's fantastic. Um, I would recommend it. I would recommend reading it. It's done by Graham. Graham McNeil? Oh. Is that his name? Uh, McNeil? I think. Yeah. And it, and it is like a short story. So it's not like incredibly long, but it is, it does chronicle anyways, the last church on Terra and the emperor coming there and talking to this priest. Um, it, if you want to know a little bit more about it, I actually kind of chronicle it in the Imperial cult. It's actually the beginning part of it, but he leads off with this question. He says, second, a question. Let's say Bobby G, AKA Rabute Gilman, Brings the galaxy back together through the Great Rift, and now he has to address the big blue elephant in the room, the Ecclesiarchy. There are two millionaires to deal with disbanding the church, but my question is this. The Inquisition is so powerful, can be an awesome ally, but can the Inquisition exist and preserve its power and role as secret police if there is no Ecclesiarchy? Now, I know, Yuxin, you've, you've got your concept of this, but if I could briefly kind of put out a couple of bullet points real quick yeah first off anyways the the inquisition and the ecclesiarchy are two separate branches of um of the administratum well technically uh, the ecclesiarchy i don't think is part of the administratum it, it is still part of the administratum it just has a significantly minor role than it used to i mean during the age of apostasy the guy who was in charge of that was also in charge of the the high lords of terror but we're not we're not going to get into that and and quite frankly, the reason I do bring that up, though, is, is that the uh, Ordo uh, Hereticus was actually in, invented anyways after the Age of Apostasy. And the whole concept was is running down heretics, kind of like you described. Now, if if he does end up, if, if Rabuta Gilman does somehow anyways end up managing to disband the Ecclesiarchy, first off, that in and of itself would be a huge ordeal. And it would take years to do. But if he did, I'm sure anyways, at the same time, the Ordo Hereticus anyways would become more of a, instead of like a witch hunters class, more of a um, a spy network. And I would bet a lot of that would kind of branch. And I think it would kind of split up anyways, between kind of more of a spy network. And then a lot of those people anyways, that were too well known that were, you know, known as witch hunters would probably move into the, uh, um, the uh, what's the order? The one that the that malice is that it? The the one uh, that malleus, malleus, yeah. 
I think a the lot of it would go into Ordo Malleus with the demons mm -hmm. and, and the Grey Knights that we just talked about. <laughs> but uh, um, I would find that funny <laughs> having one of them go up to a Grey Knight because I don't know if that branch even knows what the Grey Knights are and go, you are a heretic. You use psychic powers. I can just see him looking down and just going, Punch him in the really? Face. <laughs> we all do. All of you? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my. <laughs> but yeah, no, no. I just... And point the storm bolt to Ray at the person's head. It's like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah. And uh, now, now, mind you, okay, so the heretic is, okay, which one does the Death Watch run through? The Death Watch is um, in connection with the Xenos. Xenos. Okay, so we don't have to worry about the Death Watch. The other, the other one though that would be kind of interesting though is the uh, Sororitas. What would happen with them? Now, I think they would still be a, a branch of the military. They would just, I think they would just, they would shift. Right now, anyways, there. I mean, that's the only one that, to me, anyways, is pretty succinctly, anyways, attached to both the Ecclesiarchy and the Ordo Hereticus. But if they disbanded the Ordo Hereticus, which would they would have to they would have to disband the Ordo Hereticus because they're getting rid of the Ecclesiarchy, and it would have to shift anyways more towards the Malleus, but or the Secret, or Service. they would just have to redefine it as something else, right? Like you said, turn them into like the Secret Police. They would all of a sudden right. become a different. It would have to be a different name, obviously. Uh, yeah, well, and the way they did business would drastically change too. You wouldn't yeah. have witch hunters. It was like, brand him at the stake. Why? He's a heretic. There's no such thing as heretics. Dang it. This was so much easier before. <laughs> Why did we get rid of the church? Well, he's part of the rebellion. What rebellion? The one that I just made up. <laughs> <laughs> the rebellion of Bob. <laughs> what? Yeah. So, honestly, what, would, what do you think they would do with the sororitas? Actually, what would probably happen originally is this is one of the things that'd be really weird is if they did this is if they got rid of the ecclesiarchy, now everybody that was following that religion would be considered heretic, wouldn't they? No. Yeah. yeah. No. Because they're not following a religion that is no longer considered a viable religion. Yuxin, you're taking it and too far. <laughs> Rebute Gilman wouldn't be just like, now we're disbanding the ecclesiarchy and you're all heretics. Kill everyone. He wouldn't do that, doesn't make any sense, Yuxin. <laughs> I think you're taking that a little bit too far. He, so, okay, first off, anyways, maybe, okay, so for, okay, uh, why, don't answer, why don't you answer the question real quick? You're, and you're then assuming I've got, that he's going to be in control of the Inquisition at the time. Well, he is now. <laughs> he's in charge of everything, he's the big cheese. But uh, why don't you real quick, anyways, answer the question, and then I've got actually a couple follow-up questions for you. But then we okay. do have to move back on with the, oh, yeah, the towel. <laughs> what are we supposed to be talking about? But, yeah, go ahead. So, like, one of the things that, that I thought right off the bat is uh, they'd probably merge into the other Inquisition orders. Uh, when it comes to the Sortis or the Sisters of Battle, I'm thinking that they would become more of a, um, what do you call them? Since a lot of them have like specific, it their main group is based on a specific planet, and a lot of them don't move away from that planet. I think they'd just kind of be a, 
I know this is a, a poor comparison, but the Sisters of Battles version of the PDF of a planet. Oh, oh no, 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 no! <laughs> it can't be that. I mean, <laughs> the PDFs are just the Austro Militarum make fun of the PDF. <laughs> That's why I said it's a poor, poor comparison, but it's it's the same factor of the fact that the only reason why the PDF is there is to protect the planet, that you, planet, not okay, well, any of the other plants. That's the you think it would end up more like uh, Space Marine chapters then instead? They move along wherever they need to help. I mean, that's kind of what they do now, isn't it? Actually, from what I can gather, the majority of them are solely based on particular planets that their houses from what I can remember. I mean, there's some places where it's like, yes, we will train you and then you will go to your not convent, but whatever they call it. Well, okay, so from what I... Okay, it's been a while since I've looked up the Adeptus Sororitas, other than what I had to do anyways with the Age of Apostasy. But if I recall right anyways, one of their main concepts is that they're clerics and they're healers on the battlefield. That's one of the things that one of their houses is, is very well known for, and they're actually sent out on crusades for that. Then there is another There is another one. Uh, I think it's Celestians. Um, they're the ones that... Or are actually part of battalions that are there to enforce, you know, they're supposed to help um, <laughs> in the battlefield. Emphasis on supposed. Well, no, they, okay. they're actually pretty cool. It's just, well, especially now that they're being led by, I can't remember her name, but just the concept that the ecclesiarchy thought that they could, you know, be a little bit more dominant with these adeptus sororitas. And so they hired this, this one girl anyways, who's very, you know, quiet. And she just never really shows up. She's always on the battlefield, like blowing people up. I mean, that's that's what she figures her job is. And she's very curt and very military. So especially at this day and age, anyways, the Adeptus Sororitas are very militant and they're very active throughout the, the empire. So you think anyways, they would be more, they'd be used more as a PDF group. You don't think that they would just use them like uh, um, space marines where they're just like, okay, you've got your chapters or whatever. Just go out and help whatever crusade needs help. No, I think they'd be more likely to be because they do send them out to these particular places. Like, for example, uh, forget which book it is, but one of the Caiaphas Canes, he is actually at this uh, school that he's helping tra train uh, commissars. Right. There's another group that's training that, that gets like the Deptus Arbites. And then there's one person who is literally training Sisters of Battle. Right. Sort of the reference there is that she's part of a particular group that's actually going to be sending them to a particular. Um, like the Sabbath Crusade. I don't or... know what they call it. No, it's not a convent. I keep thinking convent, but no, that's that's temple. Yeah. Whatever they call it. Church. Yeah. Well, except for it isn't a church because it's basically their base of operations. But anyways. Well, on that fun-filled note. Uh, <laughs> so real quick, anyways, before before we carry on, I do have one last question for you. And th this is one, anyways, that kind of evolves around what Jason was asking. He he was saying, suppose Rabute Gilliman, anyways, gets rid of the ecclesiarchy or the imperial cult, right? So my question is actually even simpler than that. He's saying, suppose he actually does this. Here's my question. How does he do that? I have no idea. And the other problem would be is 
what happens when he does remove it because something has to take its place. I mean, well, I don't think he's going to go back to the I don't think he's going back to the Imperial Truth. And I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I talked about in the Imperial Cold uh, Vox that I did is that people have to believe in something. Right. It's just the way it works. And uh, the Emperor, anyways, tried science and that didn't go over too well. I mean, now, mind you, anyways, he went about it like completely the wrong way. So, I mean, maybe, you know, I could look back into that. But as, as can be attested by. Lorgar, right? He's like, you're a god. No, I'm not, but I'm going to use godlike powers. <laughs> yeah. And if you want more, <laughs> if you're interested anyways in the Imperial Truth and all that stuff, by all means, look up the Imperial Cult. It was actually, it took me weeks to actually do. It was, it was very fun actually coming up with all this and pulling all this information together. But honestly... I, so the main concern that a lot of people have is, is that if the ecclesiarchy disappears and 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 they no longer anyways have the they no longer have the protection of the emperor, right? Against the warp. That's that's the big uh-oh, you know, kind of thing. My argument against that was that when the emperor was around, nobody believed in him as a god emperor, and everybody seemed to still be okay. Everybody just didn't randomly pop into demons. So right. it's, so there, there, there's a little bit more to that. But to get rid of it, I mean, he's already slowly starting to do this. He's he's kind of removing the positions of power out of the High Lords of Terra for the Ecclesiarchy. He's already starting to do that. Uh, well, like I that. mentioned before, one of the problems of removing it is now you have one of the things that's kept the majority of the Imperium together is no longer viable. Yeah, and and we it, it's we, kind yeah. of like okay, let's put it this way: it's kind of like the Tao. All of a sudden, there is no greater good. What are you going to do? Why am I even helping this person? Then I don't know. <laughs> to answer your question, I guess you you would need to look anyways if you're going to do that anyways. Actually, let, let's go ahead and use the Tao because that's actually a really brilliant. That's actually really brilliant, Yixen. So we've got the greater good going on anyways with the Tao, right? But we've also got these things called the farce, uh, Farscape or Farsight Enclaves, which are not part of the Tau Empire. They still right. follow the greater good, but they do not follow the ethereals, which to me anyways is kind of fascinating. So and and their greater good, by the way, has dra is drastically different. They still t follow the what is it? Tau Va, this concept of selflessness and really it's 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 really communism but <laughs> at the same time anyways they still have this absolute belief anyways of what the greater good is now on the other hand anyways the greater good isn't in my opinion it's not really a religion it's like a code of honor so to speak yeah. so but if you took that away i think anyways out of the two groups anyways the farsight enclaves would do much better because they don't have to worry about the ethereals if that makes sense if you got rid of the greater good like you were just saying i mean like it's like you were saying what if the imperial truth or the imperial cult is just gone now i think the thing that you're missing anyways is, is that as we can see with the farsight enclaves anyways this is this is something that is taking place over many many years yeah. they're they're slow dissension away from what 
the Tao Empire calls the greater good. I think this you would have you definitely have to do the same thing anyways with Rubute Gilliman anyways and slowly pull away from this. Because and honestly, they no longer have any sort of support, which is what I'm getting at. If you don't have the support there, then you're causing a fracture. Well, it's it's the support of your fellow man. Yeah. Well, no, and you can actually look at, uh, for instance, Terran 42's history. If you look at, for instance, the United States, I mean, it was a very Christian-oriented, God-fearing populace when they first started up anyways in, what was it, 1776? Right. And during that time anyways, I mean, church and state, while they were separate, they were all they were very well-knit because all the people anyways that were in state were also heavy members of the church. Right. But as we've gone on anyways through history anyways in the United States, it's become very much those things have started to break apart until you get to now anyways in Terran 42 where the concept of Christianity, it, a good example actually, is Christianity anyways is, is more of, well, that's what you believe. I believe in something different, which is okay. You see what I mean? When you get farther away anyways from separating those two anyways, that's when you can actually start as the state to really manipulate anyways things outside of religious circles. Okay. So Rabute Gilman would have to do the same thing. He has to slowly absolve the power anyways of the church and then get it farther and farther away anyways to a point anyways. It's like, well, that's what you believe. Okay, that's fine with me. I believe in something different. And not be over, over the head with it. Right, exactly. Which is what well, yeah, some they gotta get past that whole feudal forty-two right now. <laughs> I mean, like you mentioned before, anyway, that is occurring in many places in ten forty-two's U.S. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it's very much, anyways. Like, for instance, when the Tau take over some human populace, anyways, and like, wait a minute, we can believe in whatever we want, and the Tau are like, well, yeah. And it's just so mind-boggling. They have no idea what to do with that. So long as it doesn't <laughs> conflict with the greater good. Yeah. And they're like, oh, so so we have to believe in what you believe in. It's like, no, no, no. What we mean by that is, is like, we understand that your whole religion anyways is like killing people yes, that yeah. don't look like you. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got to stop doing that. <laughs> but the rest of it, we're okay with. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> so... If you're going to actually, yeah, like I said, you got to have to slowly start to separate this apart. And, and, and like I said, that takes years. It takes years to do anyways. And how he rebuilds the structure in the state is the concept of we do this anyways for humanity. It's not for the God emperor. It's for humanity. This is why we do what we do. I don't know. What, what do you think? I think that's probably the only way that he can actually do this. Well, I think we could talk about this for. A very long time, but how about we move on to the Tao of expansion? Yeah. Where do we get back to the Tao? <laughs> what we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> Fair enough, Yuxin. But yeah, that is all the questions we have this month. And if you have any questions, feel free to put them in the comments and we will answer them at the end of March. Yes, and thank you, Damien and Jason, for sending us your questions. <laughs> Quite right, Yuxin. Well, why don't we go ahead anyways, and I'll start with the first and second sphere. The first sphere expansion is the name given to the colonial expansion that marked the rise of the emergent Tau Empire as a major star-faring species of the Milky Way galaxy through its 
first organized effort at interstellar exploration and colonization. The first sphere expansion saw the Tau establish their stellar empire and settle new colonial sept worlds in the eastern fringes of the galaxy. This thousand-year-long period, known to the Tau as the Great Expansion, occurred in 502.m37 to 956.m38 and was considered a time of great scientific advancement and cultural renaissance. It was during this period that the Tau first advanced into space, colonizing their planets as far as their conventionally driven sublight void craft would take them. The notion that the Tau's future lay in the stars was keenly grasped by all the Tau casts at this time, after which the Tau began to push their realm outward at an explosive rate. This was also an interesting time because they began to welcome other Xenos into their empire. In fact, I know, Yuxin, you said that the Nikasar, also known as the Pancake Polar Bears, were the first aliens to join the empire. But there was actually one before them. Really? Yes. Although I can see why you missed them because their alliance with the Tau was, was short and very brief. In 893.m37, the Xeno species known as the Proctrun became the first sentient alien race to join the Tau Empire. Although within a few generations, disease destroyed their indigenous population. The Tau, whose physiology is fortunately immune to the plague, inherit the Pactrun's homeworld, turning it into the prime world that would later become known as Borkensept. The Nikasar became the first race to join the Tau Empire and survive long enough to tell about it. Ah, so the Nikasar was the first sustainable Xenos race in the Tau Empire. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, but it was not all fun and games in the first sphere. In 606.m38, the Tau came in contact with a very unpleasant group of aliens. Ah, yes, the Orcs. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, for almost the next 200 years, the Tau Empire struggled with suppressing the Orcs in the region, but eventually were triumphant. The end of the first sphere expansion ends on a high note, though. For an 844.m38, the Tau found their most trusted and well-known allies, the Krut. What about the Vespids? Well, they don't find them until the second sphere expansion, which started in 018.m39. Now, the second sphere expansion marked the second dynamic period of expansion for the Tau Empire, when the Tau pushed even further into space, and established over a dozen new colonial septs from 018.m39 to 742.m41. During this time, a legend arose from the Firecast, the greatest Tau military thinker and strategist of his age, and perhaps of any other. His name was Commander Puretide. Ah, yes, the guy who taught Farsight, Shadow Sun, and Ocaius. Indeed. But two more important things took place in the second sphere that need to be addressed. Which are? Well, first, was the new allies the Tau. Right, the Vespids, those strange insectoid creatures. True! The Vespids were the first during the second sphere expansion to join the Tau Empire in 053.m39, but they were the first of many. Over the course of the year of 896.m41, the venerable water-cast diplomat, Poro Delith. Caius Tui Luitan, who... I'm sorry, brother, I missed that name. What was it again? Uh, Poro Dalith... <clears throat> well, he's better known as the Golden Ambassador. 
And he was called this because he brought the Xenos, known as the Thraxians, Greet, and Formations, into the fold of the Tau Empire. Formations. Interesting. But you mentioned two important things. Yes. Well, towards the end of this period of expansion, the Tau Empire was brought into conflict with a new Xenos to them, which was humanity, also known as the Imperium of Man, who launched an imperial crusade known as the Democles Gulf Crusade to reclaim their long-negligated territory in the eastern fringe region of the Democles Gulf. The conclusion of this bloody campaign marked the end of the Second Sphere expansion. But, uh, well, brother, what what did happen in the third and fourth expansion? And there's, what, five of them, right? Yeah. Okay, so what happened in the third and fourth? First, I shall be brief on the third sphere expansion, because we've already covered a chunk of it in our prior Vox on the greater goods, greatest heroes. Now, the third sphere expansion was a series of campaigns unleashed by the Tau in the eastern fringe to continue the military expansion of the Tau Empire and spread the greater good across the galaxy. It began in 997.m41 in the wake of the Great War of Confederation against the Orcs and was led by Commander Shadowsun. It saw extraordinary Tau victories over the forces of the Imperium of Man at the Battle of Mulleth Bay and in the Prefectia campaign. But the expansion ground to a halt not long after due to the difficulties encountered in crossing the region known as the Democles Gulf following the disastrous second Agrellon campaign of 999.m41 and increased resistance from the Imperium of Man which had led to the assassination of the ethereal supreme Anva. I'd like to note that one of the reasons they were able to expand as much as they were was because they had enhanced ZFR drives, giving them greater reach than they were able to prior. Uh, Pardon me, brother, but what are ZFR drives? Well, they're also known as ZFR Horizon Accelerator Engines. They are a byproduct of Tau replicating a warp drive they discovered in the remains of an alien vessel they came across during a geological survey shortly after the first sphere of expansion. Wait, wait a minute. Is it so? This is like traveling through the the warp, right? But they don't have psychers. So how, how do they breach the warp? Well, they had a workaround. Oh, really? What was it? Yeah. They began to use the warp drive in combination with their existing gravitic drive to partially transition or dive their ships into the void between materium and the immaterium. Doing so would lead to the ship ascending back to the materium at near light speed, kind of like a ball held underwater and then released suddenly. Hmm, that's actually kind of interesting. Of course, on the downside, they're only able to go about a fifth of the speed of typical imperial warp speeds and the drives mm. were bulky and used large amounts of power meaning considerable amounts of time between dives to recharge so even though they could go faster they were still going slower <laughs> than the imperium of man yeah however you know this know. form of travel did not expose those aboard to the warp so you know there is that benefit that is a good benefit. And travel. Unless, unless, of course, you're an orc. In which case, no intermediate theater. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Carry on, sir. And it it's a consistent speed compared to, you know, the unpredictable effects of Imperial warp travel, you know. 
Had yeah, like yeah. People are stuck in there for years. Yeah, you got a point there. Jeez, yeah. And then come out, and apparently it's been like two days, but <laughs> they've been in there for years. years. Yeah. Or it's been like two days in there, but it's been years outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Imperial warp travel is so weird. <laughs> If only they, you know, figured out any ways to use a slipstream engine. But sorry, go ahead. The development of the ZFR Ryzen Accelerator engines was finalized by members of the Earthcast of Falchia Sept, which facilitated the second sphere expansion. This is important because in the aftermath of the second Agrelin campaign, the Tau faced a difficult strategic situation. The path to continue expansion through Mugaleth Bay was blocked. And to the galactic east was a sea of dead space, thanks to the High Fleet Gorgon. To the west, the Necron Satek dynasty reigned supreme. It was at this moment of crisis that the Great Rift formed, further exasperating the Tau situation with vicious stellar storms that killed millions. Ultimately, the Serial Council decided to renew the Tau's expansion with a dangerous plan, the AL-38 Slipstream Module. Uh, excuse me, brother, before you keep going, what is the AL-38 slipstream module? I'm glad you asked. The mm -hmm. AL-38 slipstream module is a slipstream engine. Ironically, the Tau stumbled across the way for faster-than-light travel without using the warp. Really? Well, kind of. Hmm. Once fed to the space vessel, the module creates a bubble of antimatter around the ship and propels it at such a speed that it can pierce the fabric of reality itself. Initial test flights were incredibly successful and allowed any vessel equipped with one to traverse the entire span of the Empire within a few days, a journey that previously required many months. The Earthcast scientist Kabuto, through years of studying Imperial FTL technology and old wreckages of Krut war spheres, began to come up with an understanding on how to travel faster than light. Once fitted to a space vessel, the module creates a bubble of antimatter around the ship and propels it at such a speed that it can pierce the fabric of reality itself. Oh, you mean like what we use? Exactly. The best way to describe it is to take a piece of paper and fold the two ends together, then punch a hole with a nail or a pencil through the middle of the fold of paper. That's a slipstream engine. That's... Actually, really good. I mean, they're using a lot of the technologies that we use. But... Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Please tell me that they modified the slipstream to a less volatile waypoint than the warp, right? They did that at least, right? Right? You know, Kabuto warns them about that, but he unfortunately had figured out the math on how to use different uh, waypoints. Oh. The only thing he had to go on was what the Imperium of Man uses for their FTL technology. Oh, oh no, 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 yep. no. Despite Kabuto's warnings, the Ethereal Council activated hundreds, if not thousands, of AL-38 modules simultaneously at Numenar Point to begin the fourth sphere of expansion. Uh, really? <laughs> the so new technology hard. allowed the Tau fleet to move at incredible speeds, and the new sphere mm -hmm. of expansion was declared under command of Commander Sure Strike. Sure Strikes are gathered at Numenar Point, but due to the sheer size of the fleet, 
to utilize slipstream technology, disaster struck. The multiple disruptions in reality caused by the antimatter fields created a chain reaction that created a massive wound in real space. The rift swept across the Tau fleet, devouring it whole. The disaster was broadcast across the entire Tau empire, and the ethereal scrambled to contain all knowledge of the catastrophe. However, the fourth sphere was not entirely destroyed. Cast into the nightmarish dimension, three-fourths of the fleet was destroyed by alien creatures, not yet fully understood by the Tau. Of course you mean demons, right? Yep. <sighs> you know, this would work so much better if they'd actually used, you know, like, a different slipstream. <sighs> or not have thousands of them unleashed at once. That yeah. was their problem. They decided to unleash yeah. mass amount at one time. I mean, there's there's, there's 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 this whole thing, anyways, with time and, and warp speed, and uh, we don't have time to go through it. Just just tell us what happened. <sighs> these idiots. What do these idiots do? Well, saved from the oblivion by a many armed entity within the warp, believed to be a possible god created as an echo of the Tau race. The survivors eventually emerged in the Chalnath Expanse, deep within the Imperium of Man. After many years, contact through the rift was re-established using communications drones. The wormhole was dubbed Startide Nexus, and was used to launch the fifth sphere of expansion. The initial re-emergence area of the fourth sphere has since been fortified by Nemyar Atoll. What became of the fourth sphere's auxiliaries has since become a mystery. Well, the answer for that is actually in the fifth sphere of expansion, which is the Tau Empire's current sphere of expansion, and its primary area of advance is just to the northwest of Kar Dunash. Really? Well, pray tell, what happened? The fifth sphere was launched into the Startide Nexus, sometimes after the Great Rift's creation. When contact was made with Commander Surestrike and the remnants of the fourth sphere of expansion. When Shadow Sun and her forces emerged from the Startide Nexus, they were greeted by the survivors of the fourth sphere and welcomed to the area of space they had named the Namir Atoll. Shadow Sun then integrated the remnants of the fourth sphere into her forces and began expanding the size of the Namir Atoll's domain. However, this expansion was brought to a halt several months later, when a massive Death Guard armada appeared within the Nemar Atoll and began moving towards the Star Tide Nexus. Though caught by surprise, Shadow Sun quickly rallied her forces against the Chaos Invaders and engaged in a desperate battle to prevent the Death Guard from reaching the Star Tide Nexus and gaining a pathway to the heartlands of the Tau Empire. After a bloody struggle, the Tau were victorious. From there, the fifth sphere has continued on, battling the orcs of the Fall Na Nebula, as well as scattered Tyranid Hive Fleet remnants. Due to the calamities consuming the Imperium in the aftermath of the Great Rift's formation, little has been seen of the Imperium. However, nearby Imperial worlds were rapidly colonized with violent eagerness on the part of the former commanders of the Fourth that saw mass purges, uncharacteristic of Tau. Prisoners were massacred and auxiliaries were intentionally sacrificed in battle. The massacre of the Deloon Lakes and the Eight Days of Infamy are the most famous episodes from this controversy. 
Eventually, Shadow Sun and the Ethereal Council disciplined the Fourth Sphere commanders with original punishment known as the Malkla before they were returned to the ranks and sent back to the Empire for reassimilation. After a massacre and bloody crew uprising upon the colony of Kaisan, all auxiliaries were removed from the contingents of the Fourth Sphere Tau. Now, despite the controversy surrounding the Fourth Sphere Tau, the Fifth Sphere has continued at formidable pace. In the span of several months, several planets were occupied and transformed into thriving colonies. Most of the expansion is taking place from the Nemyar Atoll, far to the north of the Tau Empire proper. Ongoing war zones are located at the Chalnoth Expanse, Hafesos, Astagoras, Raitov, and the Vorthian. Ultimately, the Battle of Startide Nexus against the Death Guard mauled the Fifth Sphere fleet, slowing its momentum. Though it's still expanding and capturing new territory, a Sixth Sphere is already being planned to this very day. Well, I think that sums up the spheres of expansion. But before we go, I have a couple questions for you, Yuxin. Really? Well, fire away. Well, okay. So the first question is the one that a lot of people probably ask when they think about Warhammer 40k. Are the Tal the good guys? To tell you the truth and be completely honest, I don't think there are good guys in Warhammer 40k per se. I agree with you wholeheartedly. There, there really aren't. There, there are better people. <laughs> yes, they are. I would say, okay, so we're excluding the Tyrannids because they are basically just animals. Honestly, I'd actually put the Tyrannids up towards you know like the good guys just because um, they're just reacting with nature. But on on the same instance, then you can put orcs, which were biologically created to fight yeah yeah and it's in their genes also in that heading yeah but morally that's a different question more the tell fit in is they they fit in around the same place as the league of photon in my opinion yeah that that's actually probably a good description i i i wouldn't say that they're around the same rank as like for instance the salamanders to me anyways in this horrible universe anyways probably the best guys are the salamanders yeah i mean there's nobody really in my opinion but nobody really comes close to the salamanders they're out there anyways for for their people right that kind of thing but i i would say pretty close though how I, I do think the tau kind of fall under the same concept though they are therefore the greater good. Now, I would... The Tau Empire, on the other hand? Yeah, I would rank them significantly lower than, like, for instance, the Farsight Enclaves. I'd probably put them actually underneath the Leaks of Votan, the Empire as a whole. Mm-hmm. But that's because yeah. the Votan have a very... The Votan are actually... They're almost like a business corporation sort of viewpoint. Yeah. But, yeah. The Tau... I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I would not put them as good guys. They're they're significantly better than a lot of the other races, but I I would not put them as good guys. They they're empirical, right? I mean, he, he, here here's the problem with 
40k and and honestly anyways you could say the same thing anyways with the history of Terran 42 who are the good guys well nobody they're all looking to better themselves which nine times out of ten means that somebody else has to lose I mean it's that simple well it depends on what you mean by good guys also because I mean if you have somebody that's like okay as a huge entity, yes, in most cases. In some cases, it's like, okay, this is a group, let's just say it's a company, and their whole job is, is to help other people, and it's not okay. for profit. In that case, you could say that they would be considered good guys, technically, so long as it was, you know, for the right thing, not for, like, mass murdering. <laughs> right. But... Yeah. In the realm of Warhammer 40k, there is only war. <laughs> right. Period. Which means if you're an expansionist empire, you're 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 gonna be doing a lot of war. <laughs> and which means uh, you're you're expanding. Every time you expand as a territory, anyways, that means anyways, you're pushing somebody out. I mean, you're fighting them off, you're ex you're expunging them. This is this is the way it's always been. And while the Tau, anyways, can wrap this up, anyways, is this nice, neat looking little package, anyways, especially for the Imperium, because I mean, they, they can't beat the Imperium, they're too small. But they can wrap this up in this little nice gift and be just like, hey, you know, you could join us. Yeah, it's still the concept, anyways, they're trying to expand, which. I don't necessarily discredit them for that. Yeah. It's just an interesting philosophy. And and, and, and it is one of the weird things between them and the Voton, though, because the Voton originally were just like, okay, we're going to keep it in a little space. But the reason why they're expanding is because all of a sudden a wonderful rift appeared and yeah. destroyed a huge chunk of their uh, wonderful living space. And so they had to expand outwards. That's what started yeah. their expansion was because they needed some place to actually live. Right. I mean, the Voton are a different animal. Yeah. They're not expansionists. They are. They are definitely corporate. They, they are definitely corporate, but at the same time, anyway, <laughs> they're definitely not expansionists. They, no. they like to sit on the rock and mine it. I mean, they are space dwarves. <laughs> Let's not yeah. ourselves. They are a space dwarves. <laughs> and they love the fact, anyways, that they've got this little area, anyways, and we can mine our stuff and we can sell to other people. Well, what anyways, how about we move on to the next question that you may have? Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, I do have three more questions. The first is Do you think the town kill themselves off before they figure out how to do warp travel? think they're at the point where they don't want to do warp travel okay so you're thinking anyways that the fourth sphere was so bad that they just said no we're just giving this up well because let's put it this way um first of all for one thing in all the cases when it comes to them trying to do something in relation to warp travel they've always been using different ways to kind of avoid actually technically Entering the warp. Mm -hmm. um, they, they don't have psychers. And when it came to the case of... Another thing is is that there's a couple of things. One is the fact that, yes, I think the fourth sphere definitely 
kind of give them a wake-up call on what the warp is like. So if they're going to figure out any ways, a way to expand even faster anyways, and travel faster. But they have on, to figure out that slipstream. No, 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 hang on, hang on, I'm saying they got to figure out that slipstream, and they got to do they got to use it without entering the warp, which right. and which is possible, but all the information they have at this point, anyways, revolves around anyways them traveling through the warp. But see, they, here's one of the things. Okay, so mm-hmm. remember okay. the AL thirty eight that I told you about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well. Of course, after that huge thing happens, they're just like, well, we need to get rid of these things, disassemble them. On the other hand, though, one of the things that they haven't been telling people is that, yeah, they're working on improving them. Like I said, do you so think they are working on... Well, they figure out the warp travel. <laughs> they, they are working on finding that uh, extra piece of that they were missing beforehand. And I don't in, know if they'll in be able theory, to in the theory, map, when they do figure that out, is going to be a great boom for when they actually do their sixth sphere of expansion. But here's the problem, Yuxin. I don't know if they'll ever be able to figure out the math. They just, they just the only thing that they know actually how to travel through, anyways, is the warp. It's concerning to and me. Therefore, actually. they were actually able to use the technology on a small scale. So oh. they did figure things out because they were able to do it with like one or two ships. They're trying to find, a, from what I understand, what they're trying to find is a way that they can send all those ships at one time without creating a huge tear. Right now, which is what Kabuto yep. uh, was really afraid of, is the fact they were trying to do it at this point, which caused the tear. What they had been successful at was actually doing what they want to do is just at a small scale. So like if they were going to do another expansion with the tech that they had now, it'd probably be like, okay, well, we can only send like 20 at a time or something like that. Right. Not like a whole armada. Because instead of creating a massive thousands of anti-material reality opening up next to each other. Right. Which which actually does beg the question, anyways. If they do actually figure this out, what are, what becomes of the Farsight Enclaves? Now, remember, the Farsight Enclaves, anyways, at this point, the space travel the Tau have, is they're too far out, anyways, to send, like, a giant armada for such a small incursion. But if they figure out, anyways, this warp travel, they can just, you know, jump all these people to wherever they need to go. So... Now they have basically this transport gate, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why the fifth sphere has slowed down is because, and this is one of the problems that they now have, is they have this hole that is connecting the, the Imperium to the heart of the Tau Empire. Right. This thing they're going to have to protect with their lives, one of the things that has happened pretty much every single time that they've had a sphere of expansion is... They've been stonewalled by either mass amounts of other things happening that makes them withdraw their forces. Well, generally it is. You're just talking about the Imperium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As as has been mentioned is um, during the Fourth Sphere, there are all these other forces that are basically boxing in the Empire. Right. 
during the time anyways that you're talking about before the 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 third actually it's it's right out of the time anyways of the fourth sphere of expansion cadia and the 13th black crusade takes place right and so, so well actually it's the start of it because towards the end of it that's the third sphere if i recall right which means the great you know rift takes place right and they jettison out anyways to the other side of the great rift so with with their nexus thing but like i said if they do figure this out though anyways what do you think is going to happen to the farsight enclaves i think they're going to be worried too much about everything else that's happening i could see okay maybe this is just me i could see rabute gilliman anyways helping out the farsight enclaves okay you see why he would do that though right to hopefully create a wall yeah i mean he starts giving them resources they're the smaller of the two it's like look i want you to take over the tau empire i'm gonna give you everything that i can anyways to do that within my means now the question is is do you think the farsight enclaves would would actually do that that's the interesting question from what I understand about Farsight himself, no, they wouldn't. Because they may, like, go against the Ethereals, maybe, but the right. entire Empire itself, no. Because I think they have the idea that of the greater good is, is good, obviously. Right. It's just they don't like who's in control at the time. So, so maybe, different. like... Maybe Farsight would be okay with it. It's like, no, we're not we're not gonna start a rebellion. I'm okay with the concept anyways of doing like a surgical strike against the ethereals. Or at least ones that he can identify as being, you know. Which which actually kind of goes into uh my last question, which is do you think the Tao will ever overthrow the ethereal cast? Now we have kind of seen it with the Farsight enclaves. I think Crudes, the crudes. I think they could, because the only thing that's really stopped them from well, as we know, they can't actually rebel because they did have a rebellion. I think that there are certain races that would be able to definitely, under the right conditions, overthrow the ethereal caste. So you think, anyways, that the Tau would need help? overthrowing the ethereal cast they wouldn't just come together and figure out hey this is this is bogus i i think the people who would wise up the most would not be the tau but species they're part of the tau empire oh okay well that, that actually makes a lot of sense the problem with that is is that they're so small in comparison i mean like like populace wise i mean in my opinion you are going to have to need you're going to need somebody that is actually a Tau. What could end up happening is, okay, it starts with these races that aren't Tau races, but because of what they're doing, it starts to break the um, resolve of the Tau people with their feelings towards the ethereal caste. And then at least some Tau would go, okay, this isn't actually right now that we're looking at this. That's actually a really interesting concept i i honestly you know the nagai could be in charge of everything anyways yeah that's kind of a problem but 
Um, the the other thing though that I would think anyways is that it's coming from the far side enclaves. See, only, yeah, you actually gave me somebody to think about anyways with the other Xenos, and that does make a lot of sense. But the only other thing I could think of other than the other Xenos, now that you mentioned it, is the far side enclaves. For that matter, the Earthcast may end up rising up before anybody else because they're being disrespected. That that's another good. They're coming out with all these inventions and stuff. They go, no, don't do this. And there's like, well, we're gonna do it anyways. (laughs) Idiots. Well, it would be interesting (laughs) if we had a rebellion, anyways, in the Tao Empire. Well, folks, I believe we've run out of time this week. And as much as I've enjoyed, anyways, talking about the Tao, the next two months we will be going into the most important parts of the Imperium of Man. Which would be known as, um, Euxin. You know what this is? The Horus Heresy. <laughs> quite right, quite right. Can't wait, Zektar. But if you enjoyed this box, feel free to subscribe, comment, follow, and like. If you really like our stuff, please join our membership squad on our YouTube channel, Tales of Ashraka. Indeed. Before we go, I also have to mention, anyways, we have a shop. We've got all sorts of wonderful things anyways with our emblem on them, including shirts, hats, and even stuffed animals. Now, Yuxin's favorite is the rabbit, yes? Well, uh, it's better than a teddy bear, in my opinion. <laughs> favorite. <Fair enough>. <laughs> but if you get the time, feel free anyways to click underneath the box and check it out. Righto. But if you are listening on Spotify, don't worry. I'll make sure the link is in the description so you can check it out yourself but with all of you listeners thank you for listening and as always <clears throat> until next time this is ekthar and yuxin signing off